Well, good morning. It's, it's good to be here this morning. Um, it's good to see so many visitors who are here this morning. I hope you uh, have felt welcome. Uh, and if not yet, I hope you will soon. That's a precedence on everyone who's a member here to make our visitors feel welcome. We're very grateful uh, for your presence. Um, I also want to make a, a special thanks to those who are here with, uh, with young kids, be that really young, be that a little older. Um, it's not always the easiest thing uh, bringing kids. It's not always the easiest thing keeping them here. And then there's that pressure of keeping them quiet, which, by the way, I hope isn't something that you feel too much of. It's just it's such a good thing uh, for you to be here. It's a good thing for the family uh, to be here. And I hope this is a continuation of that. I'll, I'll say kind of as we begin, um, this sermon ha has been about a year in the making uh, for me, and, and it might be just because of the phase of life uh, that I'm in now that I'm a, a couple years into my 30s. Um, but I've had, I've had several conversations uh, with people, with, with friends of mine, um, who have some pretty serious doubts in their faith. Uh, and have expressed some pretty serious doubts. Serious enough to where they feel as though they are now going to make changes in their life because of those doubts uh, in their faith. Um, some who have publicly announced or renounced their, their faith. Um, actually, recently, some, some people that I knew from college um, went onto Facebook and publicly renounced their faith, uh, posted it, it would have amounted to pages if it were handwritten, explaining where they are, how they got there, and things like that. And, and um, that was really sad uh, to read. It was pretty heavy. And, and I'm sure some of you here are thinking about the same thing. You can think of people in your life who have done something similar. And as I'm reading their posts, uh, again, it's really sad, but I get to the comments section. And it gets even worse there, as it often does. And as I'm reading some of those comments, it was... Pretty discouraging to see people who profess to be Christians applauding these people's decision to renounce the faith, uh, applauding their boldness to, to, to say that. And I don't know, maybe I'm misunderstanding what they were saying. But then as I continue reading, I, I, I come across more comments of people who I, uh, who I thought were still Christians were kind of announcing the same thing, that they are no longer Christians too. And they struggle with a lot of the same things. And and again, it made me really sad, but I can only imagine how, how sad God must feel. Because um, God doesn't need a Facebook post to know where we're, how we're doing spiritually. He doesn't need us to publicly announce something. You know what He's able to do? He knows those who are His. He is able to look into your heart to know that. And we often think of that as a pretty comforting thing, that God knows our heart. I don't know, that's a pretty terrifying thing for me at times. That God really knows why you're here this morning. He knows whether you're just kind of filling a space in the pew, or He knows whether you're desperately seeking to know more about Him. And this morning, um, I would like us all to assess where our faith is. Where is your faith? And hopefully I can provide a, a few suggestions as to what to do when you find out where it is. But I want to say from the beginning that this is not a lesson on evidences. We're not going to be talking about um, proving God as a creator, proving Christ as our Savior, or things along those lines. Really, I, I have two main goals that I kind of want to throw out there at the beginning. One, if you have serious doubts in your faith, one of the goals this morning is that you would talk to somebody. I hope this morning motivates you to talk to somebody about those serious doubts that you're having. And secondly, if your faith is strong... You need to talk to somebody. 
I hope that you are willing to create an environment that is good enough that other people feel comfortable expressing their doubts uh, to you. And they're willing, uh, and you are willing to then talk to them about that. Other points are going to be made, but those are two things that I want to make very clear uh, this morning. Uh, but before we can really assess where our faith is, it'd be pretty important to at least uh, discuss what it is, define our terms, establish what it is that we're talking about. And so the question is, what is faith? What is faith? Well, uh, we, we talked about this yesterday in the, in the uh, teen study. And as I asked this very question, what is faith? And without hesitation, somebody uh, re repeated verbatim, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Yeah, I, I think going to Hebrews 11 and verse 1 is a pretty good thing to do. Uh, faith is the assurance or the foundation, that which holds up our hope. That hope being the hope of salvation. So if we're going to be talking about faith, we're going to be talking about salvation. These two things are going to be going uh, hand in hand. This is a very serious topic. So if you're contemplating faith one way or the other, this is a pretty serious thing that you're contemplating. This isn't just something you can maybe think about on a Sunday morning here or there or things along those lines. This is a very serious thing that you need to give some serious thought to. Without faith, we have no foundation for hope. We have no foundation to stand on. But it also says that faith serves as the conviction or the evidence for that which cannot be seen. So... I think there's this temptation, which, by the way, isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, and we'll get into this in just a minute. But there's this thought where it, I have these doubts in my faith. Maybe the best solution is to find every single answer possible, uh, every single answer to, to, to satisfy those doubts. And that's certainly uh, something that, that, that we need to do. At the same time, though, I believe we fool ourselves into thinking that we can address every single problem of doubt with some sort of academic pursuit of evidence. That I cannot have faith if I do not have all of these things lined up. That isn't to say that we don't have reasons or evidences for our faith. But when it comes to things that we cannot see, Hebrews 11.1 1 would suggest that faith is evidence. That we use faith. In, a, in 1990, Paul Simon wrote a song called Proof. Uh, now, he's not at all addressing uh, this topic that we're talking about this morning. Uh, but there's a line in the song that's always stuck with me. And I think it kind of sums up uh, an impossible desire that we have as, as humans. He says, faith is an island in the setting sun. But proof, proof is the bottom line for everyone. Now, my first issue with a statement like that is that it implies that these two things are mutually exclusive. Like if you have one, you can't have the other, um, that faith excludes any type of proof, and if you have proof, that excludes any type of faith. I don't believe that is true. However, I do understand the sentiment that, that he's, he's arguing. I think Paul Simon is expressing, he's expressing a desire that we all have, a desire to, to have proof that whatever decision we are contemplating, whatever decision we end up going with is the right one. Man, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if we didn't have to hesitate? Because we absolutely knew we had the proof that this was the right decision. As we were talking to, to the high, high school students and middle school students yesterday, those who are contemplating where to go to college, man, wouldn't it be great if that decision were that easy to make? That you could line up all the evidence and you knew for, without, beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was the right decision. Man, that would be great. But 
Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's certainly true, but I would also argue without faith, it's kind of impossible to please yourself. That it's impossible to live without any type of faith. We operate on faith on a daily basis with many different decisions that we make in life. The context of the song, of that Paul Simon song, is a couple that's about to get married. And what he's hoping for is that he has all the proof that he can in, in order to go through with this marriage. Um, he's trying to say you can't just jump right into marriage. You've got to have all the proof that this is the right thing. Faith is an island in the setting. I'm not just going to go into this with faith that all is going to go well. I need the proof. Now, I've been married a little over 10 years now. And even though I had plenty of evidence that Hannah was going to be good to me, she was going to be faithful to me, at the end of the day, that's a leap of faith to some degree. Every single person here who's been married, they, you don't know everything that's going to happen in your life. And so you go into it with a certain level of faith. But most everything we do, like I said before, is an act of faith. I mean, take you being here this morning. I'm going to guess you hopped in your car and you drove on the road and you drove on the right side of those yellow lines in faith that the people on the other side of those yellow lines are going to be doing the same thing, right? You have left your car in the parking lot in faith that it's going to be there when you get back. Those of you with kids dropped your kids off at Bible class in faith that everything was going to go well there and they were going to see you in a minute. I mean, we do this all the time. We have to have faith in our lives and we operate on faith on a daily basis. Consider uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks a lot about different things that he's observed in life. And what's funny about Ecclesiastes is that, is that he makes one observation, and then in like the next paragraph he's like, but I've also seen this over here, which kind of contradicts this. And he's just laying out these observations that he's seen in life. And well, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, this is one of those observations. Looking at verse 11, he says, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to, to men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. We simply do not know what's going to happen in our lives. And so what do we do then? If we are left with something where we don't know, do we just sit there and do nothing? No, we, we operate on this faith all the time. The great equalizers, according to this writer, is that death, time, and chance happen to every single person. And the funny thing about death is you don't know when it's going to come. And so what do we do in that? Well, we operate on faith. And so faith is something that is essential. And so faith is a discussion that we need to have. And if you have doubts in your faith, specifically your faith in God, or you're questioning that, you're thinking about that this morning. Maybe, maybe you've never had any faith in God, but suddenly you're a little bit more intrigued in that. As you pursue these things, what I want to do this morning is kind of assess where we, where we are. And I think all of us fit on a spectrum of sorts, where on one end you have this life-altering doubt, like you're starting to doubt everything that you learned in church growing up and things like that, and now you're starting to make decisions based on that doubt that's leading you in a totally different direction. And then you have people who are on the other side to use what Jesus says. You have this faith that makes you well. But the truth is, uh, we, we probably fluctuate on this spectrum from time to time. Maybe from year to year we move up and down from month to month. Maybe some of you are feeling like day to day I'm going back and forth 
on some of these things. I'm reminded of an important passage in Mark chapter 9. Turn there. In Mark chapter 9, there's a display of, of, of faith, but there's also a display of this spectrum where there are people who are kind of moving up and down on this faith. This passage talks about a man who has a son, and that son has a demon. Uh, he brought his son uh, to, the, to the disciples to cast out this demon, they were, but they weren't able to do it. And so they discussed the incident with Jesus. Bring it up to Jesus, and Jesus, or, or as the Father is explaining the situation to Jesus, He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. To which Jesus looks at him and says in verse 23, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. What a sobering thought. What if the health and well-being of my son totally depended on my faith? That's a scary thought. But for this man, if you can, all things are possible. Essentially, Jesus is saying, your son, the, the healing of your son is totally contingent on your faith. If you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. To which the man says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do next? Does he say, well, too bad. Come back when you got total belief and then I'll hear your son. No, he heals them right then. You see this spectrum of faith. This man had belief in Jesus, but he was lacking some. And he asked Jesus to help him in his unbelief. We all have doubts to varying degrees, sure, but we all have doubts. But our constant prayer needs to be help by unbelief. And so I want to discuss these things. We're going to spend the majority of our time discussing those who are in this life-altering doubt situation. But then we're going to take a few minutes to look at those who are on the other side. And if you are struggling with doubt in your faith, I want to encourage you uh, to think about three things. First thing that we need to do is we need to establish what our doubts are. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, we talked about that earlier, uh, saying without faith it is impossible to please God. But it's interesting that the rest of the verse gives kind of a, a mini definition about what faith in God looks like. He says, without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So we believe that God exists, that He is, and that He is around, and we believe in that. And we also believe that he is, a, he is a good God, that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. It would seem to me that, generally speaking, when people have doubts in God or doubts in their faith, it's going to fit in one of these two categories, whether the existence of God or the God of the Bible, the existence of Jesus, or that God is good. There's so much suffering in this world. Can a good God actually Exist. Oftentimes it fits in these categories. So it's important for us to establish what our doubts are, as specifically as you can. By the way, thinking about that very hard to try and figure that out. Do we doubt the existence of God or the existence in the God of the Bible? Or maybe God does exist, but is He a good God? Does He actually care if we seek Him or not? Is He actually involved in our lives on a daily basis? You need to figure these things out. Figure out what it is exactly that you're doubting. Write, write it down, even. I think we also need to look at what kind of doubt is it. Is it a doubt that, um, on a more logical grounds, which is to say, like, if, if I could just 
find a little bit more evidence on this particular topic, then I would believe. I think that exists, and I think that's a good pursuit uh, to have to some extent. Or is it more of, more of an emotional one? Like, I just, I just don't feel the way other Christians do about God or about His goodness. I'm not moved like I once was. Um, well, I don't get the same emotional response when I read God's Word like other people do. More of an emotional reaction to this. Or maybe it's a little bit of both, which I tend to think it is for most of us. And then lastly, we, we need to figure out where do these doubts come from? Where are they coming from? How did they come about? When did they come about? Like, do you have doubts because you have come across some conflicting information? Like some billion-year-old fossil or, or some crafty philosophical YouTuber said something, and now you're suddenly starting to doubt what it is that you thought. Were these doubts created because you went through something really, really hard? Which is new evidence, by the way. You thought things would always go this way, and then suddenly something really, really difficult happened. And now you're starting to doubt. Or maybe you just observed someone go through something really difficult, and that's been really difficult to process. Or, and be honest with yourself, your doubts really just kind of stem from peer pressure. I guess not necessarily an evidence-based thing. You just feel pressure to change or embarrassed to believe or act in one way or another. Or maybe you were, you were treated poorly by Christians. Certain Christians do not treat you very well. Not that it's actually evidence against God or evidence against the church or evidence against Christ or anything like that, but it hurt you. And that's serious. Christians hurt you. So it's rather than this, there's this pressure kind of pulling you away from faith, there's a pressure kind of pushing you away from faith, almost from the inside. Maybe that's you. Or do your doubts really just come from wanting to live differently? I don't really feel like living this restrictive Christian lifestyle anymore. Or, you know what, I don't really see the point in living this Christian lifestyle anymore. I don't really see the big deal of sin. I don't really believe that that exists in the same way. And, and you don't really feel like living in that way. I mean, there's multiple reasons why these doubts may come across, but we need to think through those. If you are struggling with your doubt, you need to establish what it is, what kind of doubt it is, and where it came from. But once we do that... We need to address those doubts. We need to find answers to those doubts. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 6 again. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We talked about that in the, uh, in the parables class this morning. Are you seeking answers? If you have doubts, you need to do something about it. Don't say you're struggling with something when you're not actually struggling with it, when you're not actually wrestling with it and trying to figure out answers. I said this was one of the main points I want to get across this morning. If you are struggling with doubt, you need to talk to somebody. Consider John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in a pretty difficult situation in his life in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Luke chapter 7. He's in prison. And while he's sitting in prison, he starts to have doubts. Is Jesus really the answer to God's promise? By the way, that's a crazy thing to me. John the Baptist even had doubts. But what does he do in those doubts? Does he just sit there and meditate while he's in prison? No, he does whatever he can to find answers. He sends people out to go talk to Jesus directly and try and find answers to this problem. When you doubt, you need to do some research. 
You need to try and find answers. Take a look at Acts chapter 17. Look at the Bereans. What did they do? Think about it. They have been living a particular Jewish life for a long time. And then this Paul guy comes into play. And he starts preaching all these things, creating all this doubt in their minds of things that they knew. Did they just accept what he said? Did they just reject what he said? They searched the Scriptures. They tried to find answers. If somebody is trying to make you think that God is not actually the creator of this world, truth doesn't fear anything. Search for answers. Look into the things that they're bringing up. Try and find answers to those things. If someone is trying to bring up this doctrinal issue and saying that you are wrong in this particular thing, the way that we have worshipped God this morning is not right, well, look at the scriptures that they're offering. Try and figure, figure those things out. We need to search for answers. But as you talk and as you search, you need to do it sincerely. You need to do it sincerely. It's a, there's an interesting story in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Zacharias and Mary, they're both told some rather unbelievable things. Uh, Zacharias is told that he's going to have a child, even though he's really old. Uh, Mary is told she's going to have a child, even though she's a virgin. And so they both are met with doubt. And they both ask the question, how can this be? However, Zacharias is punished uh, for his doubt. He's made mute, while Mary is rewarded. And Mary, uh, it, it, she, she's given this answer and she believes. But I think within the text, there is reason to doubt the sincerity of Zacharias. For one, the angel points out in, in his response that Zacharias didn't actually believe. But also... Was there biblical evidence for Zacharias, the priest, by the way? Was there biblical evidence that God can do something about an old person having a child? Had there ever been examples of something like that happening? Of course. Did Zacharias know that? Was he trusting in that? No, it seems pretty clear that in his question of how can this be, he's asking it insincerely. So, are you asking your questions of doubt because you want answers? Or are your questions of doubt really just statements? We need to wrestle with that. Thirdly, once we've found answers, we need to change accordingly. We need to respond. Hebrews 11.6, we need to actually come to God, as it states. If the evidence that you have found leads you, you need to come to God. But this is easily the most difficult part of the process. Uh, we'd like to think that exploring our faith and trying to find answers is just as easy as the scientific method. And sure, there's elements of the scientific method in this, right? Like we are, we are stating a problem. We're making a hypothesis. Uh, we're searching for clues and answers. And if that's all faith was, then the next step would be easy. The next step of, uh, of changing based on the new evidence, that'd just be the logical way to go. But y'all know this. Faith is far more than an academic exercise. Because the questions that we're asking have eternal implications. The questions have deeply seated consequences, deeply seated emotional consequences. And as much as we would like to say, like, look, all I want is truth, and when I get that truth, I'm going to act accordingly, it's hardly ever that simple. The truth is, at least with the majority of people that Jesus interacted with. The problem was never, was there enough evidence to follow Jesus? The problem really came to, do I actually want to follow Jesus? Do I really want to make a change? Now, I don't, 
I don't want to offend anybody in trying to make it that simple. I don't want to uh, make undermine your doubts or offend you in any in any way. But at the same time, in those in, in several that I've spoken to or several that I've heard about, it ultimately came down to just not wanting to change. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to change? Because faith is much more a matter of will than it is an academic pursuit. Consider John chapter 6. If you were to look at John chapter 6, Jesus has quite the following at this point. He has fed 5,000 people. These people are sailing across the sea to try and follow Him. Then Jesus teaches them. And then they walk away from Jesus. They no longer want to follow Jesus. Why is that? Was it because there just simply wasn't enough evidence to follow Him? There, there wasn't enough evidence to prove that He was the Christ? Well, they had evidence, right? He just fed 5,000 people with practically nothing. And yet they still ask, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe? Is a sign really what they needed? No, they got their sign. They chose not to believe. Consider the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10. He comes to Jesus because he recognizes that Jesus is good. He calls him the good teacher. And it's interesting, in Mark's account, Jesus is like, well, you know there's only one that's good. Like, are, are, are you calling me God right now? Do you know what it is that you're saying? Well, he kneels before him, showing him honor and respect. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what a great question that is. That ought to be on the minds of every single person here. What should I do? To inherit eternal life. And Jesus gives them an answer. But it wasn't uh, the answer that he wanted. It wasn't what he wanted to hear. He chooses not to follow Jesus. He chooses not to have faith. Even though that choice made him sad. I want to pause and just say... I think we have this temptation to think that, that, and I think this is especially for young people, but I think for anybody, there's this temptation to think that everyone who chooses to throw away their faith and no longer be a Christian does it skipping and jumping happy that they now get to live this, this free life to not have to be held down by these rules and stuff like that. No, in my experience, the people that I've talked to, it's been a really difficult decision and a sad one that they're going through. The rich young ruler walks away sorrowfully. He makes that decision even though it makes him sad because his will trumped the truth that he received from Jesus. But I think it's also to consider a story in John chapter 20. The story of doubting Thomas as we often refer to him. Thomas announced his doubt. He stated, I will not believe that Jesus raised from the dead unless I see his hands and his feet and touch his side which Jesus is pretty critical of. But he establishes that doubt. And he establishes what it is that would answer that doubt. And to Thomas's credit, when those demands to see his hands and feet and touch his side are met, what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Thomas changes. When Thomas got the information that he needed, he changes and he decides to follow God. To help illustrate these points a little further, I'd like to quickly look at a couple stories from the gospel accounts. I'd like to take a look at the Pharisees. 
In John chapter sin, you, uh, John chapter ten, excuse me, you see uh, the Pharisees doubting. Now, for some time, they had doubted uh, who people say Jesus was. John chapter seven and John ten, they're, they're, you can see their debates that they're ha- having. They're debating whether he is a good man. They're debating whether he's the Christ or not. They're debating whether he has a demon or not. And they reference scripture as they debate these things. But the Pharisees certainly fit on the side of doubt. It's interesting. John 8 says that some of them believed. And it's hard to, I'm not entirely sure what that means because at the end of that chapter, they're, they're certainly not believing in that they're trying to kill Jesus. But they had belief at some point. But in John 10 and verse 24, they make very clear their doubt. And that is, is Jesus the Christ? Now, to their credit, they address those doubts. They go to the source and they say to Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. But it's pretty clear that they're not very sincere in this, in this pursuit. I mean, they've already ignored evidence. Back in John chapter 7, they're saying, well, Jesus can't be the Christ because, well, we know that the Christ is supposed to be from Bethlehem. But this guy is from Nazareth. Now, would it have taken much research for them to figure out, well, what Jesus actually is from Bethlehem, no, they weren't really concerned about that. In fact, it seems as though the only reason why they're even talking to Jesus in John 10 is at best to appease uh, Nicodemus, who's saying, look, guys, you know, the law says that we're supposed to go to the source if we're going to question somebody. But it seems more likely that they are just asking this question of Jesus just to entrap him and find more evidence to kill him. So they searched for an answer, but were they doing that sincerely? It certainly didn't seem so. And did the Pharisees change? Well, of course not, because they had no intent on changing, only to entrench themselves further and further in what they had already purposed in their heart. Are you like the Pharisees? Have you already made a decision on your doubts before you've gone through the research and tried to figure things out? Well, if the Pharisees serve an example of what not to do, Peter, I believe, serves as an example of what to do. Do. In Luke chapter 24, uh, a group of women go to Jesus' tomb and they find it empty and they're confused and they're, uh, they're distressed. And then suddenly two angels appear to them and they tell them he has risen just like he said he would. And the women are excited and they report the news to the apostles. But how do they respond in verse 11? Well, it seems pretty clear their doubt is, has he actually risen from the dead? And the words from the, from the women just come across to them as just utter nonsense, the New American Standard Version says. But then, verse 12 shifts the attention over to Peter. Peter has this doubt as to whether Jesus actually rose from the dead or not. And what does Peter do in that doubt? In verse 12, it says that he runs to the tomb. What a wonderful phrase. When Jesus doubts, when there is a question as to whether Jesus actually rose from the dead, Peter says, or Peter decides, he runs to the tomb. May that be a metaphor for us in our lives. When we are struggling with something, when we are trying to find answers to something, see that faith is something that is extremely serious. Run to the tomb. Look at the empty tomb. And what does Peter do when he finds it? Well, when Peter sees that there is an empty tomb, in John's account it says that he didn't fully understand everything that happened. He didn't know all the implications of this. And yet, 
And yet he was willing to act. And you can see all of the stories in the book of Acts and you see a totally different guy. The first time Jesus was gone, when he was taken and he was put on the cross, what you see in the disciples is that they are scared and they're lost. And yet in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus goes away, they start acting totally different. They're fearless and they're bold. Why? Because they saw the risen Savior. They saw Jesus and their doubts were addressed. Now, it's true that our doubts might not be met with the same amount of sight and the same amount of clarity and certainty of the apostles. However, Jesus calls those who do not see and yet believe their testimony, He calls them blessed. In that story we referenced before about doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, He says, blessed are those who believe yet didn't see. He makes it clear that faith or belief is possible without sight. We read that in Hebrews 11, like we referenced earlier. But Paul affirms this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Lastly, and I promise quickly, I want to address those who are strong in their faith. Because I think there's something that you must be doing as well. And the first thing is that you, meet, you need to continue seeking God. We've been referencing Hebrews 11 and verse 6. He says that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We must constantly be trying to understand Him and be trying to understand His will more and more. Reading the Bible can be a very difficult thing at times. It can be a frustrating thing at times. But I believe the more we wrestle with God's Word, the less, in fact, we wrestle with God. We need to try and understand His Word more and more. And seeking God not only serves as a way to answer our doubts, but it almost serves as a preventative measure of sorts. It prevents us, keeps us from some of those doubts because, and I'm reminded of a story with Peter in Matthew chapter 14. When Peter walks on the water, Peter had faith. He had heard Jesus teach. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus walk on the water. So he acts upon that faith. And he starts doing something he had never done before. He starts walking on the water. But then, he begins to sink. Why? He took his eyes off of Jesus. He started pay paying more attention to the winds and the waves that caused problems. By the way, winds and waves that God, uh, Jesus has already demonstrated control over. Winds and waves that has nothing to do with faith in Jesus. But he was frightened. So my encouragement to you is to continue seeking God. Do not keep your eyes, do not divert your eyes from Jesus. And we must be willing and able to share our faith, to tell people why we believe, specifically for this lesson, to those who are doubting. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. To give an account for the hope that is in you. Well, what is the assurance or the foundation of hope? It's faith. It's faith. Peter is telling us, be prepared to tell people about your faith. Be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks. We must be willing to defend that faith. We must be willing to share that faith to younger people. But you know what? We also must be willing to share that faith with maybe the 40-year-old the who has grown up in the church, as we say, the one who's been sitting on this pew every Sunday and every Wednesday and should know these things by now, but is suddenly now bold enough to share some doubts? Are we willing to share our faith to even them? 
Well, how are we supposed to give that defense? How should we share that faith? He says, with gentleness and reverence. And lastly, as I pointed out at the beginning, we must be willing to create a safe environment for change. An environment where people aren't going to be ridiculed and shamed for having doubts. Say what you want about my generation and the generations that come after me. You can call us soft or fragile, and I'm not going to argue against that. But I'll tell you what, if you want to reach this generation, it's not going to be done through ridicule, and it's not going to be done through embarrassment. If people have doubts, create an environment that is good enough to where they feel comfortable sharing those doubts. This is something that we must address as a church, as a body of Christ, but this is also something that is most effectively done in the home. Moms, dads, do our kids feel comfortable sharing these things with us? When that time comes, if, you're, if your child is young enough to where they're not really thinking about these things, when they get older, when that time comes, there's a story in Deuteronomy 6, when your child asks you why, are you ready? Are you ready to give a defense? Are you ready to answer those questions? Are they going to come to you knowing that they're not going to be shamed or embarrassed? By the way, even if it is a little embarrassing that your child has these doubts. And then probably most of all, are you actually prepared to give a defense? How do you feel about your faith? Are you ready to give a defense for your faith? We need to be willing to continue to seek God, tell others why we believe, and make it comfortable for others to talk about these things. I want to end by looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this uh, a few weeks ago as we were discussing unity. In Ephesians 4, Paul lays out uh, some things that kind of um, establish our unity. Beliefs that we have that establish that unity. In verse 4 he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Maybe you're doubting some of those things. Maybe you're doubting whether there is actually just one body. Maybe there's multiple bodies of, of, of Christ. Maybe there's, one, maybe there's more than one spirit. There are different ways in which people have gotten the, the, the word from God. Maybe, maybe you're doubting that there is just one Lord, or there is one faith. Or maybe there's multiple ways to get to Jesus. Maybe there's more than one God. Maybe there is no God at all. Maybe you're doubting those things. And again, my plea for you is that you would talk to somebody. Do not leave here without addressing those problems. But for those of us who are strong in the faith, in verse 1 it talks that we are walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. How well are we helping others? What is our attitude as we help others? Are we doing it with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love? Always remembering the example of Christ who shows that to us. I invite everyone here today who has doubts to confess those doubts to somebody. We're about to sing a song of invitation. We often do that. We sing it. We invite people to come up to the front and, and, and admit some things. You know what? That could be a pretty difficult scenario. That you're expressing doubts to a, a, a couple hundred people. That's not the only way to do it. You don't have to do it in that manner. But what I do really encourage you to do, talk to somebody. Make those doubts known. But maybe, maybe you're past those doubts. 
Maybe you are ready, like Peter, to make a change in your life and to start acting differently. Maybe that's confessing a sin in your life that now you are ready to put away and you want to admit to the congregation that you've done these things and you want prayers and you are ready to change. If that's you, that's wonderful. You can make that happen. But maybe you're just ready to be baptized. You're ready to become a Christian. It is that time. And I hope that you would do that. When we sing this invitation song, come up to the front. Please come up now while we stand and while we sing.